thank you, choir, for your faithfulness in leading worship for us this morning and pointing us to God's grace. Because little did I know, I had no idea when I planned for them to sing this song this morning that I'd be preaching on grace. Um, and you'll see in a moment how, how that all comes together. Um, if you have your Bible, would you please turn again to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at these verses in depth. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. And we won't stay just here, but for the most part, this is our main scripture. Once again, I want to remind you, it says, For you are all sons or children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ or put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And in verse 29, I'm I'm going to include this because it's the last verse, and it has significant meaning. It says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. Now, that's important because in just a moment, we're going to realize what all this is about. We're going to talk about the context. What is Paul saying here? He's addressing a problem. This whole letter is addressing a problem that the churches in Galatia had. On his first missionary journey, he planted churches in a couple of places in Asia Minor, cities, the cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And now they're having problems because they've been infiltrated by Jews, or as it may be said, Judaizers, who are telling them that they have to be like the Hebrew people. They have to take up Jewish customs. They have to serve the law. Yes, Jesus Christ saves them through his grace, but they've got to do these other things. They've got to have certain things that they do, circumcision. They've got to uh, go by dietary laws. They've got to do all these things. And, And the whole theme of Galatians is we have freedom in Christ. You no longer have to be bound to the law. There are not things that you have to do. Paul says, the moment you receive Christ into your heart, whether you feel it or not, at that very moment, you have become a child of God. Those who repent, and repent, remember, means a 180 degree turn. You're heading towards sin. You're living your life in this way. And you say, I agree with you, God. I don't need to go that way anymore. And I turn toward you. So, Those who repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Christ are made children of God. Isn't that a great, wonderful thing? Can somebody say amen? You're a child of God. John 1.12 says, But as many as received them, to them gave he power to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So if you've trusted Christ, You've been adopted. You're a joint heir with Christ and all the wonderful things that God has for those who love him. And so in Galatians 3.26, it reads, For you are all sons of God through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus. So when we trust Christ for our salvation, that's when we become a child of, of God. So here Paul is contrasting what Christ does for us as opposed to what the law cannot do. The law is effective. It was was important. 
We're referring to the Old Testament. You know, the first five books of the Old Testament are considered the books of law. There's a lot of different areas in the Old Testament. There's poetry, there's wisdom, there's history, there's prophecy. But he's talking about the law here. These Judaizers have come in and said, you've got to follow all these laws in order to be saved, in order to be a Christian. And Paul's saying, no, that's not what I taught you. So, the law had a purpose. It made us ready to receive the grace that only God can give us. Paul shows us at the moment of salvation, not only do we become sons of God, but at that very moment, we are baptized into Christ. Now, does that mean that you get in the water and at that point, that's when you become a Christian, when you're immersed in the water? Is that the baptism he's talking about? No. We're, we're immersed in Christ, and Christ is immersed in us. It's, it's as if, picture this, you have a piece of white cloth, maybe a piece of linen, and you've got a bowl of red dye. Now, I don't know if it's Alabama red. I don't know if it's Georgia red. I don't know what color it is. But you take that white piece of cloth, and you dip it into that bowl. The cloth is now in, in the dye. But what else is true? The dye is in the cloth. If you take that cloth out of that dye, it's going to be just as red as the dye that it was put into. And that's the, the, the picture that we have of Christ being in us and us in Christ. We are now identified with his power, with his presence, with his character, how he is. We're saturated with it on the inside. Paul says in this letter that the Lord's redemptive work on the cross freed you and I from the law which bound us in chains. Now, do we, because of grace, because of God's grace, are we allowed in that freedom to go and do whatever we want to, to live in sin? Paul says over in Romans chapter 6, God forbid that we abound in sin, in God's grace. We're totally identified with Christ. And he's in us, and we're supposed to be in him. And in verse 28, Paul removes any doubt by stating, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Greek. We're all one in Christ. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek. Doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, whether you're a slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. The garment that he gives us to wear at that point, it affects our behavior, which points to Christ who lives in us. He is in us. Our behavior becomes his behavior because he lives his life through us. Now, this statement begs to ask a question. If we are, from the moment we accept Christ, clothed with his garment, the garment of salvation, if Christ lives in us, then how can we live contrary to Christ? Any of you raise your hand and tell me you're perfect. Once you got saved, you never did anything wrong ever again. I'm so glad because I have to put my hand down too. That, it, it, it's not me either. How can we keep on living in sin once we've gotten saved? How can we do it? How can we be clothed with Christ? And there's no such thing as a believer who is not fully clothed with Christ. How can we be clothed with the inward garment of Christ 
And yet our behavior be so contrary, so different on the outside. Even within the body of Christ, the church, how can people be so mean to one another? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, the things that I want to do, I don't do those. And the things that I shouldn't do, those are the very things that I do. He says, I wrestle. I wrestle between my old life, my old self, and my new self. The things that, that I should be doing, I'm not doing them, and I'm struggling. Where does that struggle come from? What's wrong with us if we're clothed with the garment of Christ that we choose not to walk in Christ? The garment that I'm speaking of is your behavior on the outside. For that garment to be seen, we have to live by faith and trust God. Faith is saying, God, I trust you. I trust your will. I trust everything about you. I trust your word. You put that outward garment on, that garment of belief, every moment. It's a decision. Do I put on the garment that I was wearing before I came to Christ, that old stinky, nasty garment? Or do I put on the garment of praise and glorifying God and allowing Him to be everything in me and let it reflect to the world that Christ is in me? Do I want to go back to my old life of sin? It's counterfeit, you know. It's not real. It's, it, everything that, that Satan offers us is not real. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Nothing satisfies like Christ satisfies. That's why in Romans chapter 13, four, verse 14, Paul says to believers who've already put on the garment, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells them how. Here's how. By giving no provision to the flesh, to your own self, to your own will. That's what he says also in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, in regards to your former manner of life, put on the new man, not the old one. You've already put him on in salvation inwardly. But now, let him show forth outwardly in your garment. Put on Christ. Colossians 2, 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk you in Him. Now, Paul's already told us in Galatians how he lives. How he allows God to live his life through him. How he allows God to be his garment, his character, his behavior. He told us that in Galatians 2, 20. Some of you may have memorized that scripture. He says, this is my choice. And here's how he says it. I have been crucified with Christ. At that moment, he says, I was made a child of God, a son of God. He said, I became baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ. He says, I've, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he goes on and says, and the life I now live, the life I now live. In other words, on this side of the cross, on the other side of the cross now, I've got a choice to make. He says, and I've made that choice. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Faith is a choice. Every morning I get up, I have to say, 
What am I going to put on? What garment am I going to put on this morning? I have a choice. Either to say yes to God and surrender to His will for my life. God, I want to be a conduit this morning, today. Will you just live your life in and through me? Or I can choose to pamper my flesh. If I do that, then I'm going to ruin the relationships I have around me. In one way or another, it's not going to be good. So, I told you we were going to be in chapter 3, but I want you to jump over for just a moment to chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to talk about whether our garment reflects the one who lives within us. Paul's writing to believers, so this is for us, believers in, in Jesus. When we choose to pamper our flesh, we become an immediate detriment to the body of Christ. We become divisive. We lose our testimony. And people don't see Christ in us. They only see that individual. Chapter 5, starting in verse 19. We're just going to look at three verses. Paul gives believers a vivid picture here of what happens when we choose to walk without putting Christ on. Verse 19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here they are. Immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The flesh offers us counterfeit. It offers us counterfeit love, the first three of these. Immorality, impurity, sensuality. They're counterfeit. It's counterfeit to the love of God. It won't be worth a thing. Don't give in to it. You need to understand that we have God's grace, but grace never gives you the license to do as you please. The thing about grace is it gives you the power to do what you should do. It allows us to live righteous lives. God's grace sets us free not to do whatever we want, but to do what God wants us to do, how he wants us to live. And that's often where people miss. The second thing he mentions is counterfeit worship. And you probably say, well, in those next few words, where are you getting worship? Well, worship has to do with living a lifestyle every day, day in and day out, under the lordship of Christ. If you go into a store and you treat the lady who's behind the cash register rudely, you'll get out into the parking lot more than likely. And the Holy Spirit will say, you weren't supposed to do that. That wasn't nice. Go back in there and apologize. You go back in and you apologize. That's because you're under the lordship of Jesus. You're not free to express your emotions like everybody else. You're responsible to walk in the flow and the life of Christ. When Paul lists idolatry, it means to serve an idol, to serve. And, and, and Habakkuk talks about that idols are made from human hands, by human hands. And so it's actually, idolatry is actually serving the flesh. The moment I start serving anything in my life other than Jesus Christ, it becomes an idol and it pulls me out of focus with my Lord. In the context of Galatians, it was the law. Remember I said, 
problem was they were saying, oh, you got to go back to the law. you got to obey the law. Yeah, God, Jesus gives us grace, but you've got you to serve the law. And the law became their master instead of Jesus. When our worship preferences are more important than Christ and what he told us to reach the lost and equip the saints for the work of ministry, then we're idolizing worship. It's all about me, after all, what I want, isn't it? And I've put on that stinking robe of self, of flesh, the one I had before I got saved. We should never do anything other than have Christ as our focus. We mentioned counterfeit love and counterfeit worship. Let's talk about counterfeit relationships. These next eight things that Paul mentions in Galatians 5, things that ruin our relationships. He says, enmities, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. What is enmity? Enmity is hostilities. When you start off wearing the wrong robe, when you're not putting on the robe of Christ outwardly, you've got him inside, but he's, he's not showing outwardly. The first thing that happens usually is you develop some kind of hostility. And if you have a hostility, it leads to strife. Strife develops. You get quarrelsome, ornery. Don't look at the person next to you. Strife means contentious quarreling. It's controversial. It's when the flesh has you and the garment we're wearing, what is it? Have we put on Christ? Or are we wearing that old stinking robe that we had before? And then it's jealousy. Jealousy is being uncomfortable with what you don't have that your brother does. Fourth, it's mentioned outbursts of anger. That's cussing or screaming at someone. Then comes disputes. Now, the word disputes has to do with self-ambition. It's competitive. And you say, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to get my way. No matter what, I'm digging in. And disputes lead to dissensions. And what is dissensions? What is Paul meaning here? It means to stand apart from somebody. It's when one person will not fellowship with another. They'll go, see them coming, and they'll turn and go the other way. If they come to church, instead of sitting where they normally may sit, if they've got a problem with somebody, they'll sit on the other side. They won't fellowship with these other people. And that's false worship. Who do we put first? We put on Christ. And then after that, we get factions. Because we've got two people who don't like each other. They get their friends and they say, oh, I, this, this happened and... The other person says, oh, well, this, this, you know, I'm right. This so you get these groups, one over here, one over there, murmurings and talking badly about our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the word we get her the word heresy from. They've divided themselves to the point that now they are identified by their differences. Paul says Christ unites us. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. We are all one in Christ. But when we have an agenda other than Jesus Christ, we will become identified with whatever agenda we tie into. And that, Paul says, is heresy. It's 
a faction in the church. It's now divided. And that leads to envy. Envy is similar to jealousy, but not only am I uncomfortable with what my brother has, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to rob him of whatever that is. And it may be something like joy. Your brother, you may see joy in his life, and you think, I don't want him to be like that. I'm not like that. My life's not great. And so you get angry with him, and you get uh, ugly with him. That's not good. Whatever he has, whether it's joy, peace, or material possessions. And then finally, Paul adds pleasures. He says counterfeit pleasures. Remember, the flesh only offers counterfeit pleasure. Paul mentions drunkenness and carousing. And drunkenness, you all know exactly what that says. It means to be under the influence of wine or strong drink. Word of God says, don't be a stumbling block to your brother. In Romans 14, it's associated with acting improperly or being out of control. And over in Ephesians, we're told not to be under the control of strong drink. Don't drink wine wherein it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be in control of anything other than the Holy Spirit. And then Paul adds carousing. And that's the word that means partying. Just do whatever you want. Make yourself feel better. Party. Have a good time. But both of these words are counterfeits to what the Spirit of God offers to us, to His children. And He gives them a warning. He says, Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. We're, I thought we were talking about Christians. Well, yeah, there are two, two Greek words for practice. He said, I forewarned you, and I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And the two Greek words for practice, one is someone who does it habitually. That would be someone who's unsaved. You can't be saved and have the Holy Spirit in your life and not be convicted of the sin. If you, if you are, if you say, claim to be a Christian, and you say, I can just keep on sinning, I can just keep on doing what I've been doing habitually, then you need to reevaluate your life in Christ. But the other word, the other Greek word for practice, means to fall into from time to time. And that's us, right? I hope. Believers do this. They fall into a trap, but they don't stay there. That's the difference. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us and convicts us of the sin that's in our lives. So my question this morning and Paul's question to the Galatians, have you put on Christ? Are you wearing the wrong garment? Take off those rags. Put on Christ. If you've never truly repented of your sins, and ask Christ to rule and reign in your life. I urge you to do that today. Don't continue to accept the counterfeit that Satan offers. Put on Christ. It's very easy. It's easy to follow Jesus. He said, my, my burden is light. And it's so rewarding. So this morning, if you don't know Christ, you know that. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you, then I pray that you'd ask Him to forgive your sins and to control your actions from this day forward. We'd love for you to come forward when the hymn starts. 
and let the church know about that decision. But if you're a brother and sister in Christ, you know Christ. Christ is in you. Put on Christ by making certain that you're allowing Him to be seen in your outward appearance. If you need to come forward to pray or to confess your decision to walk in Christ anew, don't hesitate to do that either. The Holy Spirit is speaking with you. and I beg you not to harden your hearts. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you for the, for the forgiveness of sin and the removal of guilt that Jesus gives us through his death, through his burial and resurrection. Thank you that you sought us out for a relationship with you. We thank you for the unity that we have with you. And we thank you for the unity that we have with our fellow believers. We are all one in Christ. Because Jesus paid our sin debt. This morning I pray that we'd be serious about putting on Christ. And leaving our garments of sin in our past. Today we choose to be real. And not accept the counterfeit. Oh God, may you rule and reign in our lives so that we might please you and bring glory to you through our living. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.